So after the service is over, I'm probably going to go hide out because I don't want to give any of you what I have. I call it the nasties. Anybody ever get, has any of you had the nasties yet this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Marcia. <laughs> I've been kind of blaming Marcia just a little bit. She came into the office with the nasties and suddenly, somehow, uh, you did stay away. You did good, Marcia. You did good. So, but at any rate, I got the nasties, and so uh, I'm going to stay, keep my distance from you, and trust that uh, you all stay well and healthy. Uh, second service people aren't going to buy it. They're going to think I'm just trying to get out of here early so I can go see the Seahawk game. Uh, it's just not the case. Uh, I do have the nasties. Also, uh, thank you for filling out the spiritual, uh, anonymous spiritual uh, checkup health checkup. Uh, it does help us tremendously, and there is a place you can write things on the back that also helps us, because we want to know how you're doing. It helps us as we are this year, and we have some really exciting things we're going to be talking with you about in the future, about how God's leading us, and uh, so I, I really encourage you. Uh, it's not one per family. It's one per individual, so if you filled it out as a family last week, the part of the family that didn't fill it out last week, go ahead and fill it out this week. Some people are wondering, what's the difference between a member and a, and a regular attender? Is that a question that was on your mind? Well, a member, uh, I, I have no idea. Just check something. Just go, I, uh, well, actually, I can think of it this way. A member is, is uh, someone who uh, probably, uh, I don't know, just fill it out. Give it a shot and, and see what happens. Because uh, uh, the, the real question is, is do, you, how, do, you, do you attend regularly? A member is this. Let me see if I can define a member. A member is somebody who, is, who has gone through the effort of filling out a membership card and is actually a voting member of the church. Uh, the only thing that means is, is because you have to... With this cold stuff that I got going on, my brain's just a little foggy this morning. So forgive me, I'm probably retracking just a little bit. A member... I suppose growing up in the 60s and early 70s, I've never really been a real fan of membership to anything. You're just, you're just a part of us because you're a part of us. But membership is an important part is it does fulfill what the law requires. We have membership meetings and things like that. But it's also kind of another level of which people say, I'm just going to make that commitment, make sure that, that, that I, I'm a part of that congregation in a membership way. And I encourage you to be that because it gives you voice at a different level. But even if you're not a member, as far as we're concerned, you have voice because we care about what you're thinking. So regardless if you strike member or just regular attender, whatever you're most comfortable with, fill that out. But it helps us know where we're at in terms of moving forward with God in discipleship. And so, so if you would be sure, if you did not turn one in last week, grab one of those, fill it out, fold it in half. It's anonymous. Don't put your, and intentionally don't put your name on it because we're not really uh, uh, wanting to do... Uh, we want people to be absolutely brutally honest about themselves and about us as a congregation. So, so be sure, feel free to put stuff on the back that would be uh, helpful to us as well. Uh, also, wanted to mention, uh, Jean Glenn's here. Jean, I wish I could have given you a squeeze this morning. She's been gone for a few weeks. 
she's been uh, uh, a great grandma, and uh, so praise the Lord and congratulations on this new gigantic baby, 10 pounds, that was born into her family. And uh, we praise the Lord with Eugene. The Armstrongs also praise the Lord for them. I saw Paul up here playing bass. I'm not sure if he's out there or in here at the moment, but but if uh, Paul, congratulations to you and Chris on a new grandbaby as well, like nine pounds, nine ounces. So those are two pretty large babies that were born as Pat and Jessica Armstrong had a baby. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Now, the message for today. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, in the New Living Translation. And you are living stones... You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. I want you just to read that with me out loud, but I want you to personalize it so that we're, what we're going to say is, and I am a living stone that God is building into his spiritual temple. Would you read that with me? Ready, set, let's do it. And I am a living stone that God is building into his spiritual temple. It is the case. This is what God's Word says. We are living stones. Now, what does it mean to be a living stone? Can a rock breathe? Uh, can a... Uh, <laughs> I think somebody answered for me. I think I heard someone. Very good. Excellent. Can, can, uh, can a slab of granite make choices and decisions and then live those out and walk that out? No, no. Not unless, of course, a very large miracle occurred. And certainly, that miracle would be a God-sized miracle because it would involve God putting the breath of life into a rock now, is it possible that God could do that? Well, I, I'd have to assume anything is possible with God because the Bible said all things are possible with Him. In fact, Jesus tells us in Luke, when, or the Bible tells us, Luke tells us that when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on uh, that day that precedes His crucifixion, uh, the triumphant entry days, He's riding in, People are, are singing his praises, Hosanna, Hosanna. People are waving the palm branches and laying the jackets and clothing on the ground for the donkey to walk over as they're carrying Jesus. And they're singing praise to the Lord. You might remember the story that the Pharisees, the religious people, you know, religious people always tend to, in their best efforts, goof things up because they always get things backwards. They always think it's about the traditions, the religious people are always about preserving the tradition when Jesus is always about preserving the human soul. You, you understand the difference there? You know, we, we, we get that way. We always have to, even in our day and age, and all of us, we have to, we have to guard against that. Lest somehow the, the methods, the mannerisms, the, the what we do's become more important than the human soul that God is working with and dealing with and breathing life into. And the religious people, they got all worked up because these people were singing praise to Jesus and Jesus said to them, he said, listen, he says, if, if those people are silent, immediately the rocks will cry out. 
So it's certainly not beyond the possibilities of God that he could breathe the breath of life into a rock and then therefore give it life. I suppose that's a possibility. But that was never his intention. But there is a different intention, and that is this, that God could breathe the breath of life into people who have been hardened by life where you get so hard, so crusted over in your soul that you become anti-God, you, you become anti because you've gone through such hardship in life, such bitterness, such difficulty, not stuff even that you brought on yourself, that you just wonder if there is even a God, and you, you set a doctrine in your life that there is no God, and there are people who just, just become so hardened against God does he have the ability to breathe the breath of life into them, softening them so they respond to the Holy Spirit's draw upon them, and they come from being a, a lifeless stone to a living stone that God can use for his own purposes? Absolutely God can do that. There's no question about it. He can do that. See, if, if Jesus can conquer death, he can most certainly conquer the, the threat of eternal death that comes upon every soul that has been hardened by sin or hardened by the things of life that have kept God out, he certainly can breathe life into them and he can begin to turn us from what we once were to what we can be in him, used for his glory, used for, for his praise, to be a testimony of the goodness of God in our life. See, I once lived for me. Now I live for him. I once was, was nothing more than a consumer, but now I am a disciple. And what is the difference between being a consumer and being a disciple? Well, here it is. A consumer's goal is this, to be happy. Now, frankly, there's nothing wrong with being happy. I'd like to consider myself a disciple, and I rather enjoy happiness. How many like happiness? I like to be happy, and God actually created that emotion, so he's not in opposition to happiness either. But the difference is, is that a consumer's whole goal in life is for self. It's, it's all about consuming for self, for self-happiness, and nothing beyond that. Now, all of us are consumers to, at some level. If, and as, if I've got something I want, and, and, and because I want it, I go to a particular place of business, I, I want the best price I can get. I want the best product I can get, and I want the people that, that are serving me that product to be friendly and helpful. And if I don't get what I want because I'm a consumer, I'll take my business somewhere else. Are you like that too? Some of you are. Some of you know I spend as much money as I can. I don't care if the product's any good and people can just treat me badly. No, I think probably all of us are that way. There's, there's a consumer about all of us. A number of years ago, I decided I wanted, I'd, I'd gotten my income tax back and it was like about $1,500. 
So I decided I was going to put in a sprinkler system. And, you know, it's not enough money to hire somebody to come and do it, so I was going to just buy all the materials. I'm going to dig up the ground, put it all in myself. So I decided that I would do this. So, so I had all the money ready to go. I set it aside, and then when I got the spring, and it's now time to, to put one in, I went to a particular place of business, and I, and, I, and I had mapped it all out. I draw a little schematic, and I figured out all this and what I, I was going to need. And I took my little map in there. I went into this particular place of business, and I said, uh, yeah, I want to put in a sprinkler system, you know, and so I, I need a little help in getting the right parts and, and knowing, you know, all that stuff. And the guy standing across from me, he kind of, he, for a moment, he just kind of looks at me. It doesn't even say anything. It's like about, it's not a long time, but it's like five seconds. And in five seconds, when you've asked a guy behind the counter for, for help and he just stares at you, five seconds is a long time. So, he's, so he stares at me for a minute and he says, well, do you know how much that's going to cost you? He didn't even look at the map. He doesn't know. It might be one sprinkler head and a six-foot piece of hose. He didn't even look at it. He says, well, do you know how much it's going to cost to put that in? I'm in a place that this is all they do. This is what they do for business. And I looked at him and I thought, what? I said, I said well, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, it's going to cost a lot for you to do that. I said, oh, all right, thank you. I folded up my paper and I left. <laughs> I guess he doesn't care. I guess he didn't care about my business, you know, and I actually ended up spending the money on something else and didn't put in a sprinkler system. Years later, though, I got the bug again and finally got it in, thank the Lord. But I did not go to that place, and I haven't been back to that place since. Because as a consumer, I want the best price, I want a good product, and I kind of like to know that the guy actually wants to help me. Because I'm a consumer. If you don't want my business, just say so. I thought, well, do I look that poverty-stricken that I, that, I mean, you don't think I can pay for it or whatever? I just got my income tax back. You know, I, got, I can do this thing. You know, you know well, thank you for being concerned about my financial condition. You know, I, it was just the oddest conversation. See, but what does a consumer do? A consumer's goal is self-consuming. It's, it's my happiness I want, and if I don't get what I want, I'm going to go down the street to someplace else and ultimately get what I want. That's, that's the mentality of a consumer. Now, there are Christians who live their Christianity as consumers. They, they, they live, and I, I know nobody hears that way. I'm, I'm talking about you know, the churches that are all next door. And of course, our church isn't this way. But, but there are Christians who have an entitlement mindset that Christianity is all about simply making them happy. And that's it. And as long as everybody's making me, hey, Stephen, I love this boy. Say hi, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. Good to see you. He's a good guy. I love this guy. Uh, I got to find some drumsticks for Stephen. I'm going to keep looking, Stephen. You keep that in mind, okay? Uh, where was I? <laughs> some people live in a kind of way in which they're just busy trying to consume. But see, God has something different in mind. So we're not consumers. He doesn't call us to be consumers, He calls us to be disciples. Now, what is a disciple? 
A disciple doesn't just simply live to be happy, but a disciple lives to be whole, to be whole. Because the power of sin breaks us apart. It, it destroys the human soul. It, it ruins us. Sin has a way of breaking us down and breaking us apart. God's desire in redeeming our life from destruction is to make us whole. So the word disciple has to do with being a learner. We're learning. So the Bible says to us that we shouldn't just be a hearer of the word, but what? A doer of the word. So God calls upon us to, to put some things into action so that we're not just simply hearers, but that we are doers of the word. And so as a living stone, God does something different in us than a non-living stone. When you're a living stone, you begin to discover that God actually has purpose and meaning for your life. A no, what does a non-living stone do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. A non-living stone is buried in dirt, can be buried in dirt for centuries, for millennia, and not even care. It just simply exists. But God doesn't want you just simply to exist. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus intends that you have an abundant life. An abundant life. So a living stone, God never intended you just simply to exist. He wants you to have an abundant life. He wants you to realize he's got purpose for you. He's got meaning for you. And so a living stone is an individual, a disciple, who isn't just simply consuming everything for self, but begins to realize that as I cooperate with God, God begins to, to use me for something even larger than myself. God's building me into something that is a praise to him, a part of his temple. You're living stones that he's building into a temple that he's going to inhabit. You get to be built into something that gives glory and honor and praise to God. So as living stones, we don't just, we're not just meant to exist. He wants us to cooperate with him so that we can be used for his, his glory and his praise. What does the Bible say about people of faith? Psalm 37, verse 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of your life. This is, a, this is an amazing thing. That's a worthy verse to... to in, you know, what's the word? I'm, I'm sorry, my brain's a little soft this morning with all this stuff. Memorize, that's a good word. I was thinking about having it written upon you. Memorize, Dad, that's a good one. It's a good one to memorize, to remember something. When you think about when your life seems a little rough and you think that things aren't going well and you just, you just think, man, this is terrible, God, I really need your help, remember something. God delights in every detail of your life. He loves you. He cares about you. And so what does he do? He directs your steps, the steps of the godly. They're directed of him. Psalm 23, verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. When you're reading through the Bible, you find something out about God, and that God is this. He is a trailblazer for you. He's a trailblazer for you. He, he blazes the trail that you can go along, that you can walk along, that you can follow. Now, here's, here's the next important part about that, Matthew 4, 19. What does Jesus say? He says, follow me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So God trailblazes, he, he makes the path, and then he says, come follow me. Now, a non-living stone doesn't follow anything. It doesn't care. It just sits there. But a living stone understands that God has purpose and meaning. So you get up and you start cooperating with God and you start following him because God is beginning to fashion you and mold you and work something of his own nature and character into you so that you become a testimony of God's glory and presence. So God wants to build something into you. We follow him and we, we pursue him in the path that he has made for us. He doesn't just dig you out of the soil of a sinful life. He doesn't just pull you out of the, the, the hardness of, a, of ground that just buried you. Simply because you can exist. Paul tells us uh, in the book of Acts, he's talking to the He's talking to the Athenians and these people of Athens are worshiping all kinds of God and he begins to talk to them about what is to them, the unknown God. And, and Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. So the point I'm saying is, if you're a living stone, that's what Peter said, you're a living stone, he, that means you're not just existing that God has things that he's doing in you that will build you into something that glorifies God. You, don't, you're, you can't just be a consumer anymore. Now you're a disciple that's following the path. You're a learner that God is doing things in and growing in you. Why is that? Well, in order that you can become whole. You can be whole. It's not just about happiness. God's interested in your being whole. Sin has a way of ruining us. There are a lot of people around us that are absolutely ruined. God cares about them. God loves them. God cares about you. So he doesn't want you just simply to be happy because you know what? You can be happy, you can be happy for a season but not be whole and pretty soon the happiness is gone. You might have just, I think it was just this morning, I think I saw in the news that one of these one of these very intelligent, intelligent young men, a guy that was uh, involved in, in the whole design of making the internet acts accessible to people, uh, committed suicide apparently yesterday. This guy, he's, he's got to be wealthy and intelligent and, and very, very thought of, and, and yet uh, you'd, you'd think he'd have everything going his way, but something wasn't going his way, and ultimately he committed suicide. See, you can, you can have a lot of the stuff. You can be a consumer, but that's not going to satisfy the empty spot in you. So God doesn't want you just simply to be happy. He's interested in you being whole. Now, how do we become whole? How do we become whole? Well, it's the difference between uh, preparing to serve on a battleship and packing to go for a ride on a cruise ship. 
There's a difference. If you're going to if you're going to prepare for service on a battleship, then you got some some training you got to do. You probably have to do some push-ups. You think, well, I'm just serving on a on a battleship. Well, you know, well, there's probably could be some heavy lifting at times. Who knows? You know, you're going to have to go through some disciplinary things that help you to be sure you do exactly what the captain of the ship tells you to do when you're told to do it. And there's all kinds of training you're going to have to go through. <clears throat> Get ready to go on a cruise ship. All you got to do is decide what I'm going to consume. What am I going to take? I got to gather from the stuff that I have consumed, put it all in a suitcase, and go and hang out, sit on the deck, you know. And part of what I've consumed is several books that I want to read. And then I'm just going to go sit on that ship, and I'm going to eat every time I get a chance to eat. And I'm going to just kind of hang out and catch some sun rays, and and uh, just kind of hang out. It's the difference between getting ready to serve, prepared for serving on a battleship, and just packing to go on a cruise ship. Discipleship is that way. What it means is, is that God sometimes takes us through some training that might be a little difficult, might not be fun. The difference between a guy who's been, uh, who's been prepared to serve on a battleship and someone who's just on a cruise ship, the longer you're on a cruise ship, you just kind of get fat and happy, but you also get weak. A person who's on a battleship has to stay strong, has to stay healthy, because you've got victories that have to be won. You've got enemies that have to be overcome. So you have to be alert. You have to be prepared. So there's a different preparation that happens. So here's what Paul says to living stones, or Peter says to living stones. So you think about it. Here's the whole picture. Peter says you're living stones that God's building for a, for a holy habitation, a temple to God. Living stones don't just exist. They're on a pathway of discipleship, learning and growing, so they're well prepared to be strong stones in this, this testimony of God's glory. And so in order to get there, the Lord takes us through some stuff. Peter tells us. Here it is. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So if, if you go ahead and you become a disciple, not just a consumer, but somebody that starts following the path that God has, and you learn and make application as a living stone, not just a, a non-living, existing, just kind of hanging out stone, but one that's learning and growing and being fashioned into something that becomes a testimony of the greatness of God, you're going to go through stuff, Peter says. You're going to go through stuff. But in the end, in the end, he says, that you will receive much praise and glory and honor on the day in which Jesus Christ is revealed. You become that, but you'll give all of that to Jesus because you know who gets it. It's not me, it's him who lives in me. And we together become a testimony and a praise to Jesus. And so there's a couple things that we should know about that. Observation number one. So in order to understand what that looks like, this is true. Church life is not about pampering, it's about preparation. Church life is not about pampering, it's about preparation. 
Now, preparation for what? Preparation for us being all that God intended us to be. So we're strong in Him. There's nothing wrong about, there's nothing wrong with pampering. A good pampering once in a while does a guy good, does a gal good. You know, we, we get pampered, I suppose. We think about vacations. You know, we think about spa days. I don't particularly, you know, uh, not particularly at all. I don't think about spa days. Some of you probably do. But, uh, you know, a good pampering never hurts anybody once in a while. It helps us. In fact, the Lord says we ought to all have a day of rest, every one of us. Uh, and not only should we have a day of rest, but there are occasions in which the Lord extends that, and you have, you have a year of rest, or you have uh, those kinds of times that God gives to things extended rest for, for specific reasons. So pampering is not necessarily bad, but if that's all you get, if that's all you live for, you become weak and broken down, and God doesn't want us to be that. Preparation uh, so ch church life is not about pampering it's about preparation and you think about it here it is in Revelation Revelation chapter 21 verse 2 it says then I John saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared prepared as a bride adorned for her husband so he's, he's talking about the city of God, which is, which is his way of, of, obviously, he's talking about a bride for Jesus, and who's the bride of Christ, his church. And, he's, and what does he say about it? You've been prepared, prepared. You didn't just pack for it. You were prepared for it. So as Peter describes, sometimes you go through a lot of trials and tribulations and your faith gets tested because you're being refined as silver and gold. So you're prepared to be something that is strong and gives a great testimony of our God because he's going to inhabit us. He wants us to be prepared. Here's another observation. Preparation is not restitution, but resolution. But what does that mean? So when you're getting prepared as a Christian, and I'm going to tie this together for you so it'll all make sense in one second, but if you, if you catch this, preparation is not just simply about restitution, but resolution. Well, what is restitution? Restitution is payment for damage or injury it caused. It's payment for damage or, or injury that's been caused. Now, you think about that. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. For the wages of sin is death. You could say the, the restitution for sin is death. The restitution for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what we, we realize is this. Here's the good news. We, aren't the, we don't have to pay restitution. Jesus is our restitution. He died for our sins. Now, I want to connect it to this. Some people, when they think about church life, when they think about living for God, they think about it in this sense. They think about church, they act as if church attendance, um, uh, volunteering in the church, reading their Bible, praying, uh, 
all the things that went pain, ties, all these, they see these things almost as restitution. Is if if I don't do these things, then God's going to be mad at me, and God's going to pull His blessing away from me. No, no, no. Jesus is our restitution. Those things have nothing to do, nothing to do with payment for our sins. We cannot pay for our sins. You can be all the activities that you want to do. You can do all those activities. None of those things will pay for your sins. Jesus is the restitution for our sins. So we should never treat any of those things as, well, boy, you know what? God's got to be really upset. What's the matter with people today? What's the matter with people? They, they don't read their Bibles. They don't pray. They don't this. They don't that. They don't, you know. You know, first thing is we need to back up a little bit and remember something. Those activities are not about restitution. Jesus is our restitution. But they are about resolution. Resolution. What is resolution? Resolution is this. A return from a pathological to a normal condition. Now there's a big word. A return from a pathological to a normal condition. That's what resolution is. It means when something that, that something has become unhealthy, broken down, weak, and incapable of functioning in the way that it was created to function, it's in a pathological condition. It has something's happened that has made it unwhole, unhealthy, broken down. It's pathological. Without Jesus. Without Jesus, in terms of eternity, our soul, our spirit is pathological. We are on a pathway to destruction. So God isn't just interested about your happiness. He's interested in your wholeness because he wants to take you from being a pathological condition. He wants to restore you to a place in which you are whole. And so the word is resolution. Resolution is, is the process by which something that was unhealthy is now redeemed back to a place of healthiness. It's brought back to a place in which it can be used in the way it was created to be used. Resolution is what God wants to do. And so if you think, like, for instance, right now, uh, this flu bug that's going all around, and all over the place, apparently it's just broke out like crazy. How many got your flu shot this year? I did too. And I'm grateful for the flu shot. But you know what I'm really grateful for? Is the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus really ultimately, you know, we got to use our brains. You know, we need to be smart. We need to be wise. But you know what really I have to trust in is Jesus. But if I, if I think about doctors and the flu bugs and all that stuff right now, uh, there are a lot of people who go into hospitals. And when they go to the hospital, what happens? Well, the, the doctor prescribes for them. What's he doing? He's giving them a resolution to the fact that they are broken down, sickly, and unable to function like they're supposed to. He gives them a resolution. He says, okay, I'm going to give you some medicine I want you to take. I want you to go home, and I want you to get a lot of rest. I want you to drink a lot of fluids. And uh, if, you, if you will take this medicine, you'll get a lot of rest. You drink a lot of fluids, you know, then there will be a resolution to your flu bug that is broken you down so you go do what the doctor says and pretty soon you get healthy again praise the lord this is what 
what God does for us in discipleship. Discipling is the process by which God, who has saved our life from destruction, now has put some things into place to help us go from a place in which we were broken down in sin and we begin to follow him. He trailblazes for us. We follow him. And as we follow him, we go through some hardships. We go through things. We got to take the medicine. We got some times of rest. We get some times we got to drink all the right fluids. We follow him and he begins to bring us to a place of resolution where I am no longer what I once was. I am becoming stronger in him. That's the process of discipleship that makes us whole, not just happy, but whole. And when we start this year, this very year, when you think about such things as in the, the, the spiritual health thing kind of gives us some help to say okay how are we doing where are you at personally and then when you put that down anonymously please put them nobody has written their name thankfully and the reason again is again i want you to really be really honest about your own walk in the lord and feel free to write down your comments on the back you know uh you know you can you can write down things on the back you know the pastor uh, looks particularly well today. You know, whatever you want to write, you can put that down there. Or, wow, I don't know what in the world he was talking about today. You know, whatever you, know, whatever you want to say, write down your comments. It helps us. We want to know. Why do we want to know? The reason we want to know is because we understand something. Now, here it is. This journey of faith is not a one-time event in which you just give your life to Jesus and then, you know, you just kind of go out and forget God until the day that he calls you to heaven. When you get saved, there's a lot of baggage still in our life. When a child is born, this child is a brand new living being. But that child goes through a process of maturing and growing that moves a child from being weak and incapable of living life to being someone who now should be able to live life. It's the same way spiritually. We go from being a, just an existent stone hardened by the things of the world and we now begin to be living stones that God has meaning and purpose for. He's building you into a holy habitation. And so he takes you through, Peter says, some trials, some tribulations, some difficulties. Why does he do that? Because this is the process. This is the resolution that gets you from where you used to be and to the place that he wants you to be. He takes you from just being a consumer to being a disciple who follows him and begins to grow and mature in him. So all the little things that God has for us along the way not to they're not meant to be well if you don't do this you know god's going to be really unhappy god's going to be really unhappy that's why i i often will say and you hear me say it and i don't know that there's probably a lot of pastors that'll say it but but i'll say things like you know what you know it's uh, we don't we don't do connect cards and stuff in order to keep attendance because we you know, you, you got to be there and every time the doors are open I, you know I mean I get that I mean you, what's really more important is that you responding to Jesus and, we, and it's important that we gather it's very important we gather because when living stones come together they have a way of kind of iron sharpening iron have you ever noticed that sometimes Christians just kind of have a way of knocking the hard stuff off of each other at times it's because 
God's building us into something and he's fitting us together and he's got to get that stone to sit next to this one. He's got to put this one here and this one and he's building this temple to himself and he's putting us together. He's knocking off the rough edges. So we come together for the purpose of growing in him. But it's never about, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, that somehow you're in trouble with God. You throw that out. He already paid the price for us. This is about taking the steps that help us restore to a place of wholeness. Are you following with me? Okay. And so during the course of the year, our hope is, is to encourage you and invite you to participate in things that will help you continue to grow in Jesus, to grow in Jesus. Now the question is, and I think it's at the bottom of your notes, what, what do you believe that God would have you to do? What are the steps you need to take? What are some of the things you should be thinking about? It might be at the beginning of this new year and people are, people are doing it. Maybe I've got to get, I'm going to get at my devotions again. I'm going to start reading the Bible again. I'm going to start journaling what I read in the Bible. I'm going to get back after prayer again. I'm going to get faithful to church attendance. I'm going to this. I'm going to, you know, all the things that you might think about in your life uh, what is it that you're thinking through that God probably is moving upon you to do? Remember something else in closing. You can't, it, it, it's harder to walk this life of faith if you walk alone. You're like that giraffe that gets pulled aside and the lion chases after in order to devour it. So it's better to do this life of faith together with others than to do it alone. Can you do it alone? Certainly. Will there be Christians in heaven who, who never went to church? Absolutely. Because church attendance is not about resti restitution. It's about God helping us be restored to the place he wants. It's about getting whole. So you're better off being a part of something than you are being separated from something. But don't make it the law on any of these things. These are just steps that help us in God. The question is, what do you need to do? What do you need to do? Bow your heads with me. In closing, I just want to encourage you to, to consider, Lord, you know, sometimes people, they, what do we call them? We call them, we're going to make a New Year's resolution. A New Year resolution. I'm going to, here's the prescriptions I'm going to add to my life this year for helping me get to where I you know, want to be. You know, and spiritually speaking, what are those things? Well, you know, they say, well, in less than a month, those things usually drop off, so I'm not going to do it. You know, it's better, to, it's better to have tried and not succeeded than to not try at all. So I want to encourage you, listen to the Holy Spirit. What would God have you to add to your life that might absolutely pay off in your discipling journey with Jesus? What might that be? Father God, we come to you today. And I, I think, Lord, in terms of my own life, yes, I am a pastor. But I also know that, Lord, my journey has not ended. And that, Lord, there are still things that you work on me in and things that you're dealing with me in. That, Lord, you, to help me, Lord, be the man of God that you would shape me into. And that my cooperation as a living stone, not just as a, as a non-living 
rock that just exists, but but as something that someone who can cooperate with you and that by the activity of my own will, I can say, Lord, I will follow you. When you say, come follow me, then I'll say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And you begin, Lord, to map out my life. And some of that, Lord, I know means that there's some trials and some tribulations. You'll take me through some swamps. You'll take me through some things. There's some storms that that are a little difficult. But you have intentionally, Lord, made my path go through those things in order that I would be strengthened and become wiser having gone through them. So that, Lord, you are shaping me into someone who really can be a testimony of your grace and your love and the nature of who you are. Help us all, Lord, to know what is it that you would have us to do this year. And right away, begin in evolving in our life that Lord we might walk with you and be stronger in you for it and help us Lord to be attentive to it and not just be a hearer but to become a doer of it in Jesus name amen amen hey thanks for hanging out for me I'm not going to come and give you all hugs I'm just going to disappear for a little while but 